Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Beat. I am, of course, Nick Baumgartner, back off paternity leave. I hope you enjoyed the Brendan Quinn experience over the last two weeks. Brendan is now on vacation. Brendan and I haven't been on the same show in, in a minute here. It's been uh, like we're avoiding each other, but that's not the case. He is off, but either way, we got Colton Pouncey here today. Colton, how are you doing? Doing great. Uh, we got some football to talk about, huh? We do. I, I said this yesterday when we were doing RPM with Austin. Like, it doesn't feel like... I don't know if it's this way for you, but for me, it, it it doesn't feel like it's about to start next week for whatever reason. I know it is, yeah. but it still feels a little weird to me. I don't know. Are you the same way? Yeah, I am. I mean, you're talking about a late October start. Um, this is weird. <laughs> we should yeah. be in the thick of it right now, but we're just now starting right. up. So it does feel a little off, but hey, we're, we're getting close here. But very excited as it's about to be here. That is one thing I think we can all agree on, that everybody's got a little more pep in the step. We have no idea how any of this is going to look. Uh, nope. It could be a mess on all levels, but it's going to be a fun mess, you know, no matter what. I think most people are on the same page there, so that's exciting. Before we get into we're going to do a big mailbag today uh, as we actually have football, uh, Michigan and Michigan State questions. actually got quite a few of both. Uh, but off the top here, as we discussed a little bit on the RPM show, there are some adjustments happening to uh, podcasting here on the Athletic College Football Podcasts. Uh, there's going to be a new Big Ten show coming um, starting soon, and the feed here that you're subscribed to, this the Beat feed, either on iTunes or via the Athletic app, uh, you're going to want to stick with that one for all Michigan and or Michigan State coverage as we go forward here. Myself, Brendan, uh, Austin, and Colton, we're all going to be involved. Um, we're going to do, do, I believe, two episodes a week um, through the football season, so there, you know, there'll be times where... It'll be Austin and I talking Michigan, Colton and I talking Michigan State. Maybe Austin and Colton will be involved. I think they will be involved, right? Colton, Austin and Colton will be involved in the big, the big football, the Big Ten football show. Yep. Brandon and I, of course, will still have shows, but they'll all be hosted right here. They'll all be on this channel because um, I know Colton and you and Chris had Green and White Noise last year. That'll be sort of folded in uh, to this one as well. So it'll look different. But for the most part, the content will be the same, I, I assume, right? Well, that's, we'll call it that. Yeah, I mean, we're still going to be talking Michigan State football, we'll talk Michigan yeah. football. It'll, it'll be a good time. I'm excited for it. And, you know, and, well, I mean, basketball, too. Right, I think yeah. that that's the other part, too. Brennan, uh, and then Austin, and you, you've you been doing some hoops, too, a little bit with Brennan on golf, haven't you? Going a little bit. Football little coming bit. back kind of so, kind of changes the yeah. plans, but yeah, a little bit here. So, so going forward, you know, that, that could be a topic as well. So we'll do all that stuff, but just make sure you stay here uh, with this feed. Uh, as that's where it's all going to be. So um, with that, Colton, ready for some mailbag uh, mailbag stuff here? Let's do it. Who's going to be the quarterback? All right. <laughs> Who's going to be the quarterback? Well, how about this? Because we got I've got a good handful of both sides, Michigan State, Michigan questions, and I have quarterback questions to start on both. Well, let's start with the Michigan State. We got a ton, um, I think, in general, and we've all had a bunch. So I'm not going to attribute this to one person in particular, but let's start with Michigan State's quarterback situation, Colton. Let's just, and then we'll go into Michigan's after this. Uh, obviously, Rocky Lombardi, Theo Day, Peyton Thorne uh, in the condensed camp situation. The obvious question most are going to have is, okay, who's going to be the guy? Is that guy going to be the guy for the full year? We've kind of touched on this in some of these episodes in the past, but as it sits today, Colton, with you know less than two weeks to go before game one, what would your anticipation, expectation be uh, for who takes the first snap and then maybe who is getting that second snap in warm-ups? You know what I mean? Like who's two's two and who would be three? 
Albeit we know that that's subject to change, but you know, what's your ex expectation or where are you kind of feeling as we're sitting right now? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, you know, for a long time, my view was, hey, Rocky's going to be the guy that's just kind of based off of his experience. You know, he's been around the program. He kind of knows how Michigan State operates. I mean, the caveat with that is there's a new staff here and they kind of had to see these guys with their own eyes. And for a while, they didn't have that opportunity. Really, the last few weeks, they've had a chance to kind of really kind of hone in on this quarterback competition, evaluate all three guys. You know, Mel Tucker talks about a rep chart instead of a depth chart. So they're yeah. putting up those reps equally among the three guys. So I think we're winding down here. Obviously, we'll probably get a depth chart sometime early next week if they decide to do that. I don't know. Maybe Mel Tucker <laughs> new world saving. Goal. Yeah, maybe he tries <laughs> to keep that a secret. I don't know. He did do yeah. one at Colorado, though. So I guess we'll see. Um, but I think at this point, I would still – Expected to the started to be Rocky Lombardi, but I've been hearing some things. You know, I think Peyton Thorne's kind of closed the gap a little bit, um, which is interesting to me because you know he's a retro freshman. He didn't, he's never thrown a pass at this level. Uh, he spent last season on the scout team, but uh, I think he's kind of emerged as maybe the number two guy in this competition. Not, not to say Theo Day still isn't in the running, but um, I think Peyton Thorne has kind of turned some heads a little bit and impressed some guys. So. I would, again, I would still expect Rocky to be the guy to start, but this could get interesting if it heads into the season a little bit. Yeah, it's and it's one of those things, like I think we've talked about it privately, like that first game against Rutgers, is it out of out of bounds or out of question to to say that maybe two guys could get could get a look in that game? I mean, I think that would be indicative of if it's not super distanced at the top, right? Like mm -hmm. if if it is in fact Rocky Lombardi and he hasn't totally distanced himself. You know, could could someone share reps with him in that situation, or would they be more inclined to just go with one guy? I don't know if we know that answer, but based on what you know, Jay Johnson's talked a few times this offseason. What what's your sort of thought on at this as we sit right now? Yep. Would it be we're, they're going to pick one guy and let him do it until something changes, or maybe we'll see if this thing extends into the season? I don't think it's out of the the realm of possibility. I mean, Jay Johnson was kind of asked about that a few weeks ago, and he said, "Hey, if if it goes into the season, it goes into the season. Um, ideally, you would like a guy that that would emerge to be the starter, but it doesn't sound like anyone's really pulled ahead at least a significant amount where you know who the guy is going to be. So, if that's the case." You know, the schedule kind of sets up well with the game against Rutgers. You know, yeah. I know Greg Schiano's there, but it's probably going to take some time to get that thing going again like he had it back in the day. So that's a team that you can beat. That's a team that you can kind of maybe use that game to experiment, um, play a couple guys, different series, and, and kind of see how that works and how that plays out um, and hope someone emerges at some point. Um, you know, the next couple games after that are a little bit tougher, so maybe you want someone more yeah. established by then. But it wouldn't surprise me if we see a couple guys in week one. You know, I've never been a big fan of the, you know, people will will say sometimes in seasons like this where it's like they're playing with house money, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing to really lose or if they have a bad year, it's not going to derail anything. It doesn't even matter maybe or something like that. I've never been a fan of that because I don't think I don't buy any of that. I think that that's if you're playing, you're playing and it's it's for something. But I do, I, I can understand some of that to a degree and it can get tempting maybe to where, you know, man, if you think Peyton Thorne is ready or close to ready, right? Mm -hmm. The, the temptation to kind of throw him in there and, and give him two series in a big spot and say, let's see what happens here. To me, that, you know, in this scenario, in this situation, if you think he's, if, you know, you in this scenario being Jay Johnson or Mel Tucker or both, if they think he's, you know, like right there, like close, God, I mean. It's tempting, yeah. I, it, yeah, it's tempting, right? Because like in other instances, you'd be like, I don't want to throw him out there in a, in a rocky situation. No pun intended, <laughs> rocky thing. But I don't want to throw him out there in an uneven or whatever. And then he gets, 
he gets rattled and then we've lost him for the whole year because yep. he's mentally he's fried or whatever. You got to make sure that you're, you know, kind of handling that right. But geez, I mean, like if it's if it's close and even in the even in that second game, like I mean, obviously you're trying to win the game, but like if you think that he's capable, God, I mean, you because you never really know until you throw him out there and see. So I, yep. I do wonder if if maybe they. You know, make that decision at some point and say, let's let's give him two series, not gimmicky series, not mm-hmm. running gadget stuff. Give him two series or what series or whatever. Let him go run the offense in the second quarter and see what happens. Yep. I, not off the table, I wouldn't think. Right at this point. I mean, here, yeah. here's what we know about Jay Johnson. You know, he's talked about wanting his quarterback to be the CEO of the offense. Uh, more recently, he talked about, you know, not only just knowing what every player's assignment is going to be on offense, but he talked about knowing what the defense is going to do, how they're going to attack you. He specifically brought up Peyton Manning and how, you know, he used to have a little journal or a notebook about defensive players yeah. and, and their strengths and, you know, different things like that. He kind of, it's, it's hard to say, oh, go be Peyton Manning, obviously, but right. he wants that same kind of preparation. And I think when you look at, you know, Peyton Thorne and Rocky specifically, both those guys have great work ethics. Um, you know, I, I'm doing a story on Peyton for Friday and just talked to his high school coach a little bit. He told me we had to come in every single day prepared to answer questions and suggestions that he might have about the offense mm. that they were running um, just because like just because he didn't want to look stupid in front of the 17-year-old kid because he's a son of a coach. You know, his dad is a Division three head coach who just won the national championship um, earlier this year. And, uh, you know, he's kind of grew up in that environment, the coach's room, and, you know, probably spent more time on the field than a playground at that age when he was younger. Yeah. So he knows like what he wants to do. I, you know, his co- high school coach also mentioned that he was basically calling plays. He would direct wide receivers and say, "I want you to run the route this way." So, yeah, he kind of fits that that bill that Jay Johnson wants, and Rocky as well. I mean, that kid. I know he kind of struggled in 2018 as a redshirt freshman, but I think when you look at him, he's really worked hard to improve his mechanics and has been doing that all off season. Um, he kind of expects this to be his moment. Um, He's a great leader. I think he could even be a captain, even if he doesn't end up being the starter for the whole season. Sure, he's yeah. one of those kids where, you know, he's his his personality is infectious. It rubs off on the other guys. Um, I still remember back in 2018 after that Purdue game, like they're back in the locker room. He comes in, they're chanting his name, throwing water at him. Yeah, yeah. So like that's kind of the the impact that he can have on a locker room. So I think both those guys can be CEOs of your offense in different ways. Um, it's just a matter of preference at this point. So maybe in game one. Run, run them both out there, see what they can do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's tempting, and I, I'm interested to see if that happens. Uh, flipping to the other side, question from Carl. We'll go with uh, stick up the quarterbacks here at the top uh, for Michigan. Uh, for What's a reasonable expectation, he asked, for Joe Milton for his first start on the road? And how much does a lack of a hostile crowd stadium uh, help? And that's that's been part of it, and that's something for Michigan State's situation as well. Uh, but for Michigan, I think more so on the road, Michigan tends to get like, if this game, Michigan's going to go play at Minnesota at night to start out. If this game was in a regular situation, PJ Fleck would have had opportunities to canvas the state of Minnesota, handing out discounted tickets to make sure that building was coming unglued. Cause it would have been, you know, their biggest, I don't know if they have Ohio state, maybe Ohio state, you could argue would be their bigger home draw, but it would have been like that. It would have been, I'd been to TCF Bank Stadium at night before where they've packed it and sold it out and it's full and it's as loud and it's not a big stadium, but it can be daunting. So in that, in that sense, I would say, and I've said this from the beginning, that 
Joe Milton making his first start on the road without fans is not the same thing as Joe Milton making his first start on the road at Washington, if yeah. it would have been that case, you know, in this scenario. So I think that will help, but the reasonable expectation part is still something that needs to be sort of discussed here, uh, probably for both, uh, maybe more so for Milton as he's never started a game. I, I think Michigan, you know, and this is the thing I can't kind of wrap my head around yet, and, and it's hard to say. I know for a fact that uh, the coaching staff, the people up there, they think that Joe Milton can be a very, very good football player. They think that he has a very high ceiling. They think he can be good. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I think that they they think he can be very good. Yeah. I don't know if they think he will be great right away. I, I mean, they're set, they're talking like it. Yeah. Uh, and I, I can't tell sometimes. And this is kind of the Colton. It feels like we're in late August. We're we're coaches are just saying stuff. Yeah. But sometimes it sounds like are you. Are you saying these things because you think he's ready to be a superstar right now? Or are you saying these things because you're trying to talk it into existence? Like, are you trying to talk confidence into him? Mm-hmm. And I can't, I, I just don't know yet. And I don't think anybody really knows. I think, you know, they can be impressed with everything he's done uh, during the offseason, during camp and all this. And obviously there's been limited work. Um, but no one will know what this is going to look like until he goes out there and faces live bullets for the first time, crowd or no crowd, mm-hmm. when, when it's somebody else you know, running defenses that you haven't seen yet, uh, doing things to try to trip you up. Uh, you know, I think in both cases here, especially for Michigan, you know, they have to run the ball to, to help protect him a little bit. And he has to be involved in the run game um, at a pretty decent clip, more than we saw last year. And obviously, I think last year with Michigan, Josh Gaddis would have preferred to have Shea Patterson more involved in the run game. Then he gets hurt on the first play of the season, and then McCaffrey gets hurt, and it's, well, now you can't do it because right. you know what do you do? That has to be a thing probably pretty quickly. I think the, the, the faster they can get Joe Milton sort of comfortable, get a couple hits on him, get him involved in the run game, make Minnesota have to defend all parts of the field, the job becomes easier. Mm-hmm. If it's a situation where they find themselves – unable to run the ball and you're in third and nine and he has to stand there in a pocket and read the field and throw the ball over the place with, you know, people coming at him. It's probably not going to go well. It's start number one. I can't imagine. Maybe it will. And maybe he'll be a revelation and be awesome, but that's probably not ideal. The reasonable expectation should be for him to make the right reads. They're not going to ask him to do anything crazy. I wouldn't think. I think Gaddis will do what he can to make sure he's in his comfort zone. They're not going to call stuff that he's not comfortable with. That's not his bag. That's not what they do. Um, I think they'll do a nice job of trying to protect him and trying to make him. And when I say protect, I don't mean like, you know, pass protect. We'll see about that. But I mean, protect him in terms of not asking him to do things that, you know, maybe given all this time crunch that maybe they're not ready for yet. And I think that I'm confident that they'll have a game plan that fits what Joe Milton is ready to do when it's time to go do it. But I don't know what's <laughs> what it's going to look like when, when the whole thing starts, and that's mm-hmm. that's the case for all of this right now across the board in college football. Especially, you know, unless you have Justin Fields coming back or something like that. But for these two teams, man, I mean, you know, we can say this with Lombardi too, right? It's like yeah. you just don't know. I mean, we've seen Rocky in games before, so in in that sense, there's a little bit of that. But Milton, we've seen him on the field, but we've never really seen him like this, and and it's going to be a different scenario. And sometimes I've seen young guys go out there and play unconscious and. They don't care. They just, they're just not bothered by it. Right. And, I, and, I, and the bag on Milton or the, the rap on him forever has been that the, he could be that kind of guy. I think personality-wise, sometimes he just 
goes out there and plays and just doesn't let anything bother him. So we'll see. Yep. We'll see if it happens, but we'll see if the quicksand shows up or not. I was going to say, I mean, it seems like by all indications, he's had a really strong offseason and kind of yeah. cemented himself as a guy clearly. But, you know, there's some players that are practice players and some guys that are just gamers and it doesn't yeah. matter, you know, who you throw out out there. Um, I guess we'll see about Milton, but totally. Um, it seems like he's a guy that is not going to be affected. Um, but even then, like, Playing your first game against a tough opponent like Minnesota, they got some talent coming back, obviously, off an 11-win season. Um, you know, having no crowd, maybe if, if he's been as strong in practice as people have been saying, yeah. maybe that's sort of like a practice environment, a scrimmage-type environment where he can just go out, no distractions anyway, and just kind of, you know, we'll get a chance to see what he can do at, at that point, right? Yeah, I think that this is like – and I think people, Michigan fans, when they saw the schedule at first were like, well, that couldn't have gone any worse <laughs> in terms of difficulty, and which is true. But I think this is actually like a perfect – like the best case scenario for him to start out. You're not starting out against a chump. You're not starting out against a team that's like terrible. Mm -hmm. And so you don't even know what your read's going to be when the game's over. But also, same time, you're not starting. I mean, Minnesota's good, but Minnesota's not Georgia yeah. or Ohio State or LSU. You're not starting out against some crazy, you know, amazingly talented football team on the road at night in a stadium filled with people. Mm -hmm. You're doing it on the road at night in a stadium that's empty against a good football team that's going to challenge you, but it's also not going to maybe overwhelm you. Uh, to me, this is like a really nice, like you, you're going to know, right? Yeah. He's going to have to deal with some adversity right away. It's not, you know, whereas Michigan State, it's going to be right. Rutgers, right. which we won't, know, we won't have a good sense of Michigan State until <laughs> after the Michigan game, really. Um, whereas right. This in game that is case, you, yeah, right. The only way you would have a good sense of it in that case would be as if they're creating adversity for themselves. Yes. Um, you know, but in this scenario, Minnesota is going to give them stuff that's going to be a challenge for them, and they're going to have to overcome it. And we're going to see sort of how you know Joe Milton can roll with the punches. Um, can he let those things kind of slide off his back and move forward? That's been what people have said about him forever, that he's a really easygoing dude who everybody likes and everybody gets along with. Mm -hmm. And they pull for him, and when he walks onto the field, everybody's going to want to play for him. That's like such a big part of this in college football, Colton, as you know, like – if you walk out there and everybody wants you to succeed and everybody's like psyched up and geeked out for you to go out there and play, it's going to go better. And Milton, you know, that's, that's a thing that's real. Like that's been a thing since he showed up. So I think he's got that going for him and we'll see how accurate he can be. And I think that's the thing for both these quarterbacks, whoever it is coming into these first two games is or first game. Uh, and really the first, this season in general, you know, can you take what's there? Can you avoid mistakes that are going to kill drives? And can you just sort of, put your hand on the wheel and make sure this thing doesn't roll into the ditch. And like, that's going to be half the battle and it's easier said than done, but that's going to be the ultimate deciding factor here on kind of, you know, who does what or, or whatever. And then people's ceilings will sort of dictate, you know, where they can go from there. So we'll see, but I wouldn't be over the moon with expectations on anybody right now, uh, Michigan or Michigan state, especially at quarterback, because we just, you know, we really don't know. Yeah. And that's how it's going to go. All right, uh, Michigan State question. Here's one from Johnny. This is what I was talking about earlier, Colton. We've we've gotten to the to this point of the program. Since wins and losses aren't that important for Michigan State this year, Johnny says, what should I be watching for other than quarterback game to game? So I think in that sense, he's asking. And wins and losses losses are important. Let's let's be clear. Yeah. Okay, they're not. <laughs> it's not going to get Mel Tucker fired or something if they have a bad year, though. But that's a good question, right? Is what kind of progress, Colton, are you looking for? What what do you want to see maybe from week, not necessarily even from week one to week two, but like from week one to week three or four, in your mind, what would be a successful, like not wins and losses, but what would be a successful, like, okay, they're on the right track. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, I mean, I think you just want to see the players fitting into the systems that we're about to see. Um, yeah. You know, that's part of the the biggest thing that you can do in year one is kind of establish yourself and kind of establish an identity. Um, I think one way you can do that is with your schemes. Um, we still don't know what Michigan State's going to run defensively. Right. You know, they have some different backgrounds. They have five coaches, if you include Mel Tucker, that have been power five defensive coordinators. So there's a lot of defensive brain power on the staff. They're all kind of contributing ideas. You know, Mike Trestle talked about that. And um, I'm interested to see what they trot out there with. Will they go 4-2-5 like with what Scotty Hazleton did at Kansas State? Um, will they go – three, four, like Mel Tucker did at Colorado, probably a little bit, you know, he wants to be multiple. Um, but I yeah. think you want to see, okay, which players fit into this. Um, if you can do that and establish that on the defensive side of the ball and offense, um, you can use that film and kind of give it to recruits and say, you're an ideal player in this spot. Like we see you being this, you know, hybrid safety linebacker. We see you being an edge, edge defender, you know, just kind of those yeah. kind of system traits that you can kind of use that to show recruits. Because again, we've mentioned this a lot, but this year for Michigan State, it's gonna be a lot about establishing yourself so you can go and recruit players to make yourself better and get that talent in there that you need to eventually be competing for the Big Ten again. So while wins and losses might not matter as much, you still have to kind of show that you're competitive in some of those games and yeah. also establish an identity for yourself. I think it's a great way, that's a great way of saying it and looking at it is, is we're gonna know what they want to be about right away mm-hmm. when the first game's over. But we won't know, you know, whether or not they're capable or whether or not they have guys who are fitting in the right spots or if everybody's sort of, you know, coaches in the past I've heard talk about, you know, let's get everybody on the bus, get them in the right seat, shut the door, and we'll start driving. Well, I mean, you get everybody on the bus, you show up at the game, and we don't know if everybody's going to be in the right seat, right? Yeah. That's going to be the, the number one thing for Michigan State right when it starts is, when we talk about improvement from week one to week two, week two to week three, you know, by the end of week three in a season like this, I think, you know, w- without any breaks or breathers really, at, I guess maybe Rutgers counts, but beyond that, um, is everybody in the right seat? You know, our guys, you know, if they've made, if they've moved somebody around or maybe they've kept somebody somewhere, but it doesn't quite fit in this system, is everybody kind of progressing individually within their own job, which is going to be a new job. And I think that that's, you look at that through the lens of that it's going to be probably frustrating to watch at times. It's going to be clunky. Um, but if you're avoiding, and it sounds boring, but like if you're avoiding repeated mistakes, if, if we're seeing somebody struggle with something in week one and week two, and then they're doing the same in week four or five, mm-hmm. like that's kind of a problem. So a lot of it's going to be sort of problem solving and troubleshooting. And, you know, I think that my whole thing with coaching changes always is, and I said this the same thing the first year Harbaugh was at Michigan. People, uh, I we all thought they weren't going to be very good. And my whole thing was if look if they're better at the, if they're playing better football in week twelve, win or loss than they were in week one, we'll know it and we'll see it. And if that's the case, then it was a, you know a success. And I think for Michigan State, as boring as that probably sounds, that's reality. If they're better and more competent in week four and week eight than they were in week one and week two. Okay, then, you know, you'll take that and you'll go forward, like you said, Colton, and go out and recruit and, and that'll help you. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at the schedule, obviously Rutgers, you'd expect to win that one, but you got a couple couple rough games after that. Um, you know, Mike Trussell talked about they want to slow things down maybe just a little bit because um, yeah. you don't yeah. want these players to play 
slow. You know, he said he wants them to play fast. And that's the biggest yeah. thing where you're processing information that's being thrown at you and then you're reacting on the field. That's what they want to see. So I think in the beginning, it might be some guys kind of figuring it out as they go. It's going to be a lot of young players and first-time starters on this defense yeah. and offense. So I think they're kind of expecting, you know, maybe it might come along slower. But at the, the end of the season, they have their schemes down. The guys are playing fast. They're making plays. Like, that's what you want to see, whether you're winning games or not. You know, like, they, they finish with Ohio State and Penn State. You're not going to win those games. Yeah. But right. if you're still showing enough in those games to where you can be maybe competitive in one of those games and, you know, maybe you can see the progress made by the young talent that you're putting out there, that's a success. It's going to set you up for the future. Yeah, and stay in the fight long enough to bother someone yeah. good. Like, that would be – you know, I don't think I don't think anybody should be expecting them to like pull off a major upset in one of those three games against those three teams you mentioned there. But like in one of those games, if you can stay in the fight for for sixty and and bother one of those teams and maybe you know yep. maybe they screw hey, up and you get one. It's a weird season, all the man. We've seen a lot it's of upsets in college football this year, right? So. And I think that that's a fair expectation, or maybe what I don't know if that's the right word expectation, but that's a fair thing to strive to for. say. Hey, if you yep. can, yeah, if you can do that, if you can go against one of those teams that's ahead of you and everything and they've got, you know, the, they've got their program set and everything else and you're playing catch up and everybody knows that. If you can kind of hang in there and bother them and, you know, kind of maybe expose some of their weaknesses and see what happens, you'll take that. You'll take that and you'll be able to sell that as hope and you'll be able to sell that and you go into living rooms and say, "Look, we bothered those guys for 60, but if you're out there with us, maybe it maybe it's different." That's the best that's recruiting pitch there is, yeah. Yeah. That's it. So if they can get a couple of those under their belts, that's more valuable to me than beating Rutgers. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, I mean, obviously you don't want to lose to Rutgers, but like <laughs> yeah. bothering somebody good to a point where you can put that on tape and say, look, we are good enough here. Or we got our shit together to where we can, you know, we have a plan. Mm-hmm. If you're here, this suddenly goes from a close whatever to now we're in the game, maybe we win it. And that's, you know, that's the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. I agree totally. I think that's I absolutely what you're looking for is cohesion. Everybody get on the same page. Everybody look like they know what they're doing. <laughs> And then maybe one of these weeks you bother somebody enough to maybe raise an eyebrow or two and all of a sudden maybe more talent gets in here. And, you know, that's probably the best case scenario. Absolutely. From Austin R., uh, Michigan question, what would you be more surprised by slash think is more likely, Michigan and Jim Harbaugh signing an extension or the two sides parting once this current contract is up? Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the Harbaugh contract thing has been a topic that's been growing for a while here. I mean, I've asked, dating back to like three years ago, more times than I can think of, um, what are they going to do with, what are you guys going to do with his contract? What is the plan for his contract? Because it's going to end uh, when the seven years was up, which we're rapidly approaching. I believe he's got this year and next year still on his deal, and that's it. And in the contract, and I haven't read it wire to wire in, in a while, and I should probably get a hold of that again. Um, I believe there is something written, and I think this is sort of standard, or I don't know if it is standard or not, but I know it's in there, that there is both parties agreed or something to come together and negotiate in good faith for a new deal if they believe that should be something they want to do. As of today, if the contract ended tomorrow, uh, my theory would be is that both parties would get into a room and negotiate a new contract and they would get an extension. And that's how it would go. Uh, I have no reason to believe in my mind uh, as we sit here today uh, from folks that I know and talk to that know, and there's not, and I'm going to say this too, there are not many people who are truly 
I, I, I got to find the right word here, like truly totally aware of how Jim Harbaugh's contract negotiations, and I don't even know if I want to call it negotiations, how Jim Harbaugh's job uh, thoughts go. There's a very small number of people who have negotiated contracts with Jim Harbaugh before, and all of them will tell you that this guy does not discuss his deal or care to discuss his deal like ever. It's not a thing that's at top of mind for him. And I know that that's a difficult thing for people to understand. I wrote about this last fall, um, you know, talking to Lee Steinberg and some of the guys that did even his contracts when he was a player. It's you go do this for me, make it, make it fair. And then I'm going to go do my thing. And then when it's done, we're going to redo it. Like that's kind of what, and I think that there is, that is problematic. I think for him right now, and that his default is to just ignore it and not care about it, not waste his energy thinking about it. Because for him, it's, I'm here, this is my job, and I'm going to be here until they tell me they don't want me here. Like, that's Jim Harbaugh's, you know, sort of line of thinking. It's always been that way. It is that way today. Uh, and conversely, Michigan with Ward Manuel, you know, there's been nothing said to me that would lead me to believe that there's any change in this, that he wants Jim Harbaugh to remain as Michigan's coach indefinitely. And whenever the time comes for them that they have to get together and put a contract together, that would be, I would assume, their plan. Now, how how will all that go when the time comes to do it? I don't know. Um, but if you're asking me today, you know, my thought would be as if if they had to go do it tomorrow, they would go do it tomorrow and they would get a new contract and it would be done. I don't believe he's looking to leave. I, I've never had that in my head at all during this entire Time dating back to it, I can tell, I mean, like, Michigan's first season with Harbaugh, I think we got, like, seven weeks into the season before somebody asked him about an NFL job. And he just kept getting asked about this stuff over and over and over. And, you know, people always thought, you know, there's no way that he's ignoring all this. There's no way that he's shooting it all down. But if you talk to people that have worked with him over all this time, he never brings it up. He never discusses any of that stuff. It's always been, this is the job that I'm paid to do, and this is all I'm going to care about. So, with all that said, I mean, no, I wouldn't expect... I would expect him to be the coach as long as both both sides agree that he should be the coach. And you know, we get, and I saw that I think Pete Thamel wrote about this a little bit uh, speculative. I suppose is probably the right word on that one because it's just a weird scenario. Is you don't see this, and he's right that like you don't see coaching contracts get this low this low to the end without a renewal. And I think you can negative recruit against Michigan if you want in that sense and say you know you don't know who's going to be your coach. Mm-hmm in however many years. And Harbaugh would say, well, I'm giving you my word that I will be, but fair enough, right? Because you don't know. And that's the other thing to keep in mind here is that Jim Harbaugh trying to get into that guy's head, okay? <laughs> I mean, I mean, you can't do it. It's impossible to do. There is That's why it's you see, I think a lot of times, you see national writers try to speculate on this stuff and they get frustrated and you can see how they write about it sometimes. Cool, you've seen this. They get, we don't know what's going on. What the hell's happening here? No one will tell us anything. It's just true because he doesn't. Nobody ever does. There's nobody to go to. He doesn't have an agent. He's really never had an agent in the true sense of what an agent actually is. Uh, you know, a lot of coaches these days, Colton, as you know, have publicists. They have people that work with them on that sort of thing. He doesn't have any of that. That's never been a thing for him. He doesn't care about any of it. And sometimes, and many times, and people that would know him will tell you that it's been to his detriment over the years. He's left money on the table in other places, um, because he doesn't care. Like, it's not something that comes into his sort of equation. So it's very weird. I understand why there's a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions that don't get answered from Michigan because Ward Manuel knows that Jim Harbaugh doesn't like to talk about this stuff until he's ready to talk about it. 
and he hasn't been, so they leave it alone, and that's kind of their relationship. That's how they that's how they operate. Um, and until somebody that really would know, and that number of people is very small, tells me otherwise, my working sort of mindset here is that they'll get a contract done before that thing's over, or right when it's getting getting ready to end. He'll have to address it, I'm sure, at some point. He's already addressed it earlier. The pandemic probably has a factor in this right now as well, uh, with you know money shortfalls and everything else, but. I'm not on like high alert that Jim Harbaugh is getting ready to walk out the door here. That's not that's not something that's in my mind. I mean, yeah. But again, like I said, I mean, this is a pretty unpredictable dude, and it's been that way from the very beginning. Nobody really knows where his head is at on a daily basis because he just doesn't share that with people. Um, and that's sort of Jim Harbaugh. That's him in a nutshell. That's that's how it goes. So like. On one hand, it's it's I guess it's admirable that he just wants to focus on football. He's like, I'll get that done when I get it done, like yeah. whatever. Like, don't like I'm not worried about it. Like, you shouldn't be yeah. either. But at the same time, like, how uneasy does that make people? Oh yeah, it? you know that's big time. Yeah, I think I don't know about in the building. I think by now, people, maybe the fan base. I guess, who, yeah. yeah, no, I you were saying, but I mean, like in the building, I think if you've worked, if people have been around him long enough, they get it now. But totally a fair thing for. Not just fans, you know, forget that. It for recruits, yeah, for families. For sure. Like, you know, and that was a big thing early when that first year there were so many times, every time, and I was joking with this uh with Chris Burke the other day, actually. It was yesterday. I got, you know, we always get these emails, Colton, about, you know, Vegas odds for the next coach of whoever, right? Like the Falcons had a <laughs> somebody put together Vegas odds for the next Falcons coach. And, you know, Harbaugh was like fifteen to two on there. And I told the Chris, I said, I think Harbaugh has been 15 to two on every single NFL coaching opening since 2015. And like, yeah, it's just like one of these things that's been the case because nobody knows one or the other. I mean, you saw how it was reported when he left San Francisco to go to Michigan. It was disjointed and messy because nobody knew nobody. He didn't talk to anybody like that's that's very real. And nobody talks on his behalf. That's the other thing I'll say. Nobody. And I mean, nobody talks. And says, you know, this is what he's going to do for him. That's not a thing. So if that, if you hear someone say a source close to Jim Harbaugh says this is happening, boy, I got to tell you, it's probably bullshit because that's just not a thing that happens. There are not, as far as I know, there is no one that is authorized to speak anonymously on Jim Harbaugh's behalf with his blessing. It's not a thing. Mm -hmm. So that's part of it. But yes, I will say this, and I've said this to people like, if you guys think you're going to be able to get to year seven without him having to put him in a room and make him sit down and deal with this contract without it being a problem for you with recruiting, then you're, you've got another thing coming. I mean, it's going to be a question that he's going to have to keep answering. And I don't know how much he has to answer it now. Maybe, maybe he doesn't, I don't know, but other coaches can make that difficult for you if they want to. And it's, and they've already done it. I mean, there's been rumors floated every year that Jim Harbaugh is getting ready to leave or trying to leave or trying to bail. And all that stuff comes from, all that stuff comes from recruiting and all that stuff comes from, but I have also argued this is that he's allowed it. Like you said, Colton, he's in some ways by not addressing it. I understand why you don't want to address it because if you do that, you got to do it every single time. But by, you know, sort of playing a lot of that off, he usually would address it once a year. It, but it also sometimes lets that some of that stuff just sort of simmer. And I get that it's a catch 22. Cause it's like, well, you're damned if you do it, damned if you don't. But like sometimes, you know, I've thought in the past, like, you know, there were easier ways to handle that. And it doesn't always have to be you come out with a 10-year contract or something like that. It doesn't have to be that. But, you know, 
I don't know, probably somewhere in the middle. And sometimes they kind of fall short, I think, in being maybe more clear on, on where they're going with some of that. That's kind of like Mark D'Antonio. I mean, like, obviously his situation yeah. is a little bit different. Yeah. Um, you know, people were kind of questioning, hey, when are you going to retire? You're getting, you're getting up there. And yeah. he would always say, well, you know, I live in the present. And like, yeah, people were negative. I mean, they were the, the recruiting turned negative because coaches could just say, "Well, he's he's not committal. Who knows when how long he's going to be?" Here. Right. Obviously, that was the 100%. case. You know, he retired, but at the same time, like if you leave that door open, you know, people are going to take advantage of it. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, that's you know, that could be something that you know. Right now, I think Michigan's bigger issue, and they and, and this is fair too. I think they have bigger issues in recruiting than Jim Harbaugh's contract. I mean, like sure. to be Ohio State. <laughs> Kicking the kicking their ass every year no problem. <laughs> uh, is a bigger problem, yeah. and like you know, that's that's something that that's fair to say. And I I think a lot of people, you know, when Pete wrote what he wrote the other day, I mean, it's always attached to the money. If you're going to spend, we saw the salary thing came out USA Today. Um, uh, Steve Berkowitz, who's awesome, who does a great job with that every year. Uh, they had their, I think it was this week, right, Colton? The, yep. the salary charts came out. Mm-hmm. And there you see it every year. Hubble has three or four, you know, seven or eight million, whatever the thing ends up being. Uh, with his all of his compensation, he's one of the highest paid guys in the country, and and the expectation is, you know, if you're investing that much in football, wouldn't you want to think that you sh- your, your goal should be to be winning a national title? Yeah. And they're no closer to that today, you know, than they were at the end of, I suppose, 2016 was the closest they've been, and they haven't been close to that since. And there's really not anything concrete that we can look to right now that says that that's changing. I've I dubbed it no man's land. Three years ago, no man's land for me is you're not good enough to be in the playoff, but you're not bad enough to be like a mess. Yep. Like you're you're a top you're you're like ranked somewhere from I'll say seven to like fifteen. Mm-hmm. You know, every year you're like right. Penn State's there too. Yeah. Like they're not good enough to be in the playoff reasonably. Maybe they get lucky, and Michigan would be in the same spot. Maybe every like four years. Maybe you get a bounce and it works out for you, but you're not a perennial, you know, you're not Georgia or Bama or Clemson, and that number is very small, or Ohio State. You're outside of that, but you're also not a mess. Mm-hmm. So, like, what are you? You're like, you're you're competing for one of these near six games that nobody wants to go to because they wanted to be in the playoff, or heaven forbid you have to play in the Outback Bowl and no <laughs> one wants to go there, right? Yeah. Like that's and that's where Michigan's at, and that's where they've been, and that's where they've been under Harbaugh. He got them away from the you know, they were the mess, uh, you know, when, when the Brady Hoke tenure ended, he got them back into no man's land and now they're stuck in no man's land. And it's like the hardest thing to do, I feel like, isn't going from a mess to good. It's going from good to elite. And mm-hmm. that those last three or four steps or whatever are the most difficult ones to take. And that's what they're banging their head against the wall. I would also say this before we move on. To the, to the notion of, well, well they can't do any better. Where else can they go? You know, what else could they do? What else, what are you going to do if you move on for him? I don't know if I would say that if you've got 8 million, 7 million, whatever to spend on a coach, I don't think I would sell myself short in saying that we could never do any better. I, I think I will leave it at that and say that and we move forward. But that's, that whole, you're not going to do any better thing. You puts know, you in a box know, and kind of limits you. That doesn't you. last. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't last that long. When you know they were, what were they last year? Nine and four. Come on, like that. You can do better than nine and four, guys. Like that's not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they had talent on that team. They had. So you know to say that it's like they're 
absolutely running at peak efficiency, and you can't you can't possibly ask them to be better under this current scenario. I don't buy that either. So it's a little bit of both. Um, but right now, all I would say is I you know everything that you know my understanding is is that he's happy here. Um, he's been happy here the whole time. There's been nothing to suggest otherwise. You know, I mean, there was much made about his frustration with Mark Schlissel, I think, during the COVID pandemic. But also, I think we have to say in the next breath, that was a, you know, really ridiculously unique situation in the middle of a pandemic. I don't, you know, I don't know mm-hmm. how we're supposed That's an emotional time for everybody. You know, if cooler heads prevail, I, I don't think that there's been anything there that Harbaugh would have a, a real grievance about. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. But that's that's always been the case. People have asked me that for, for five, six years now. Well, how long is he going to be here? How long is this going to last? How long? And my answer every time is I have no idea. I mean, I have no idea. And I still, to this day, I don't know. And I've kind of come to grips with the understanding that you're not going to know. He'll make his decisions about all these things when he makes them. And he'll let us know when he does. Or he won't. And we'll find out more the other on the other side. So... Okay, next one uh, from... Who's this one from? Is this from Space Ghost? I don't know. This one might be from somebody else. It's a Michigan State question. Do you envision Michigan State using more 11 personnel this season with depth, with depth at receiver and a lack of depth at tight end? And then maybe even would you see them sprinkling in 21 personnel? So for those at home, 11 personnel is uh, one tight end, one running back. 21 would be two backs and one tight end. So Colton... I know you've got some stuff. You've actually written about this, um, I think, right? Yeah. With color, yeah, you sent me that link earlier. Uh, your thoughts on this one, the uh, personnel usage, maybe where this could go. Yeah. Um, so I don't have the percentage breakdown, but I did a few months ago kind of take a look. We have access to a program called Sports Info Solutions, which kind of tracks yeah. a lot of different things, it's really useful advanced metrics and things like that. And so I took a look at personnel breakdown with Jay Johnson at Colorado last season. And basically, he used 11 personnel the most. I mean, most college teams do. Um, 21 came in second. So that's, yeah, like Nick mentioned, yeah. two backs, uh, a tight end, two receivers. Um, the question here is, you know, we'll, you know, what's the tight end depth looking like? You know, just based right. – could we see more 11 just because – I mean, if you look at that tight end room, man, I mean, you've got Trent Gillison, who's a four-star. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt Dotson, another four-star, but hasn't really played like one over the years. Right. He's coming off an Achilles injury, which who knows when he'll be able to get back. He's been practicing a little bit, but I've heard he's not 100% or even close to it, really. Um, so you got those two. Adam Burkhorst, 6'7 oh, guy, yeah. defensive, came in as a defensive end, switched over to offense just because they didn't have bodies there last year. Um, so you got one defensive end. Um, Parks Gissinger is another guy that was recruited as a defensive end, had to make the switch. Got, but, like, could be good, right? Yeah. Like, maybe. We'll see. Maybe. I mean, we, uh, yeah, we, we'll we see. haven't seen them really in games other than blocking situations, right. so we don't really know what they can do. But they're playing, you know, maybe another full season at the position will help them out. Um, Max Rosenthal, fullback, made the switch. Tyler Hunt, who was a kicker slash punter for years, is playing tight end now. Um, just because they don't have guys. So, like, that's the state of the tight end room in Michigan State right now. I mean, people – D'Antonio used to rave about his athleticism, so I, I don't know. Maybe we'll see. But that room is, like, they're going to have to recruit some guys to get some actual bodies yeah. and talent in there. But for now, it's kind of like this makeshift position. So, the question is, I mean, could we see more 11 personnel? Maybe. Um, I think, if anything, they would probably go more 21 since that's what they did – in, at Colorado, you know, they, Jay Johnson liked using two backs. Uh, that was their second most used personnel package. Right. Um, so if anything, I could see them, you know, looking at the depth that we're running back, you know, uh, William Peagle actually mentioned 
he wants to use three to four guys there. Um, yeah, we'll see if that's the case. But I think, you know, in a season like this where, you know, COVID is affecting a lot of teams right now, you're going to need to prepare yeah. multiple guys to play. So maybe in that scenario, they want to get some guys some game time, some snaps just so they're ready. So you got Elijah Collins, you know, Connor Hayward's back in the mix. You could be a valuable third down back or pass blocking, pass protection back, you know, things like that. Um, you know, Anthony Williams is a speedy guy who you put him in the slot. Yes. Brandon Williams, Brandon Wright is a power back. Uh, he's 6'2", 240 pounds. So you got a lot of guys here. And Jordan Simmons, you know, what their top recruit, um, one of their top recruits right. in the 2020 class, you know, he's on campus now and he might be the fastest guy they have at the position. So if you want to try to work all these guys in, um, maybe you go that route instead of the 12 personnel with two tight ends. I'm not really sure, though. Here's what I want to see or would be interested to see, I should say. Um Anthony Williams and Elijah Collins on the field at the same time. Like that. That's great. Yep. That to me is an interesting wrinkle that they have in their sort of, it's there available for them if they want it. And it, we saw a little bit of it last year um, when, when they had the ability to move Williams around. He is a really interesting guy. And, and these are guys now, and we see this in the NFL, right? We see this a lot in the NFL, a lot more. And people think 21 personnel for years and they think fullback. Mm-hmm. You know, the Lions run 21 personnel with a fullback. I, I don't want to see, if I'm a Michigan State fan, a fullback <laughs> on the field, to be to be brutally honest with you. No offense to fullbacks. But uh, I think some of the two-back stuff that you can do nowadays with a guy like Williams, and Michigan has some of this too with guys like Giles Jackson and you guys that can move around and you can motion them out of the backfield and you can jet motion them and all this sort of stuff. Um it gives you the ability to put two guys on the field that one of them is going to maybe be in a matchup situation where it's really advantageous for you. And, you know, I think I agree with you, Colton. I would, I, I can't imagine why you would force feed more 12 personnel down the throat there if you can't do it. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you're not confident in more than one tight end or two tight ends, like, you don't you know, is Matt Dotson legitimately one of your best 11 at all you know is he like and if he's not then you move on from that and you if Anthony Williams is a guy that you say is one of your best playmakers and we know that Elijah Collins is and we also know that you can play them both together I mean they had a guy last year at Colorado in uh in LaVisca Chenault who great player um on my fantasy right right great player (laughs) is a guy who can do all kinds of stuff there is no he didn't have a position so technically in some cases he's a running back when he's in the game some cases he's a slot whatever and I think much was made about how they didn't get as much out of Chenault last year as he had in previous years. Although I would say some of that could be attributed to, you know, it's a regime change, everything, you know, it's what it is. But in some case, you have a guy in Williams who I think can be a utility, move him around and just get him in a situation where if you can get him one-on-one with a linebacker, most weeks, the linebacker's probably not going to be able to cover him, mm-hmm. right? And against most teams they play because he's a talented player. He's a different kind of guy. And... If they have a guy like that with Collins, and we know that, and Collins could do this, some of that stuff too, to be honest. But um, I, I think that's an interesting one that I thought about a lot all offseason. Is I'd like to see what that looks like, more of that. And I, I think as we saw last year, even when we wondered if D'Antonio was going to stick around, and we saw Williams get more involved, you know, would that have been happening anyway? I don't know. But when I'm looking at it, yeah, the receivers they've got, you know, they've got some guys that can play there too. But Williams feels like he could be one of their. If you're talking like your top three or four 
skill weapons. Yeah. Not out of the realm possibility that he's in that group, right? No, I think so. I mean, look at the bowl game. He was really impressive in that. And I think one yeah. of the things you wanted to see from him, if you are going to use him more in the backfield, is he's, he had to be better at running between the tackles. You know, he's a young sure. player and kind of tended to bounce things out. And obviously the offensive line certainly didn't help that scenario. But yep. uh, I think towards the end of the year, he got more comfortable running between the tackles and doing some things like that. But you can also use it like they're motioning him out, you know, doing some jet sweeps with him. I know people don't like that at Michigan State. Yep. But, you know, he's a guy that you can actually feel confident in running that. Um, right. You know, and I, I look at Colorado. I'm, I'm reading this reading this article I wrote from a couple months ago about, you know, personnel package and just the metrics using sports info solutions. And Colorado did some interesting things, you know, and one play I have pulled up, uh, LaVisca Chenault is in the backfield. Um, with yep. Alex Fontenot, no, they're running backs. So they have yep. 20 personnel, no tight ends, two running backs, two receivers, um, three receivers. Um, what they did was they, they motioned out Alex Fontenot, who was a running back by trade, and they kept mm-hmm. Chenault in the backfield. So really, right. it, it kind of looks – it's trips right and four receivers really is the kind of the look that they were giving. So the fact that you can move these guys around, I'm, I'm picturing this, you know, having – a guy like Elijah Collins in the backfield and then motioning out uh, Anthony Williams and, you know, maybe bring him back. Like there are a lot of different things you can do with the skill sets that they have at running back and some of the speed guys they have at receivers. So I think, I think Jay Johnson probably likes the pieces that he has to work with. Yeah. Pretty interesting to see. And it's interesting when in those scenarios, like you just mentioned, like if you're coming out with two backs and the defense counters with, you know, a run look that maybe they take an extra defensive back off the field and replace him with a linebacker type guy. Mm -hmm. And you say, okay, well, we're going to motion Williams out of the backfield here and get him one-on-one with that linebacker. And he's going to run a Texas route and there's not gonna be able to cover him if it's man coverage. Because that's, that's what you're doing when you're putting those extra guys out there. Um, You're trying to get matchups. And Williams is one of these guys that's, what is a tweener and tweeners in football today are like, it's, it's a good time to be a tweener. They're more valuable than ever. Yeah. If you're athletic, it's a great time to be a tweener. If you're not, it's, you know, it's the old days. It's the same, yeah. you know, you don't want to be there. But it's right now, if you can run, it's a great time to be one of these type of guys. And Williams is one of those type of guys. Michigan State's offense, as we saw last year, and regardless of whatever system they want to put together, was desperately in need of speed, of guys who could go make somebody miss, get, get open by themselves, somebody that you didn't have to scheme open. They just didn't – Julian Barnett was one of the best they had last year at, you know, a guy who'd go out there and just get open. Because once Naylor gets down, you know, goes down, they didn't have that. It was difficult. You had to – you know, they had some of the older guys, but they're not that fast. It was a struggle for some of them. You know, Cody White made a lot of tough catches, and so did Stewart, uh, although there were more drops than you would like to see. But those guys were kind of, give me the ball up in the air and let me go get it, and I'm going to make it, I'm gonna make a shot at it. And, and, they, and they were pretty good at it at times. Mm-hmm. But what you want now is you want guys who underneath – can create space for themselves without help. And Williams, to me, is one of those guys, at least possibly. And I'm very interested to see. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question because, I mean, what will it look like? And, you know, if he's one of the guys that's in that, you know, you're not going to line him up split wide and just have him run out routes and stuff. I mean, against corners, you're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. But you can take advantage of that and move him around and make defenses sort of choose how you, how they want to play you. Because if they take the linebacker off the field and keep the extra DBs, and now we're going to run the ball. Yeah. And that's, you know, that kind of thing. And, and so it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Nick, and you wrote last year quite a bit, actually, just how Michigan State's offense never really seemed to to put themselves in a position to be advantageous with the numbers, right? Like right. Brad yeah. Salem's offense was kind of a struggle there. Um, but you also mentioned, you know, Jay Johnson can kind of flex guys right. out and motion guys and kind of do some things to get those matchups, right? 
Yeah, he's a very he's very much a take what is given here guy. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's and to be fair, last year Michigan State got there. I feel like they were getting there by the end of the season. Yeah. But Johnson, over the years, if you look at everything he's done, their offense has morphed a lot and it's changed a lot. And you know, when Mel Tucker says multiple, multiple in that scenario means, I think, the ability to morph what you're doing based around the guys that you have on your team. And just basically getting it into a situation where you're going to be very disciplined and you're going to take advantage of what's there. Mm-hmm. And that is offensive football. And, and I mean, we could talk about all the, you know, different stuff that people do now and, you know, the things that they do to create matchup advantages, motions and, you know, personnel packages and guys that are tweeners and all this. But at the end of the day, a lot of it comes back down to, and that's why the RPO was such a big deal. It comes back down to just making a choice on, you know, if, if I have seven in my run scheme, and they've decided they want to defend us with six in the box, we're running the ball, right? Mm -hmm. If I have seven in my run scheme and they've decided they want to put eight in the box, we're throwing it. So we're going to the line with the ability to do both. And we're going to make our decision, you know, when we see what they have. And that is, that's how Jay Johnson has coached, I think, his entire career. If you go back and really look at it, and it's even how he kind of played, I think, back when he was a player way back in the day. But, like, that's, I think, what they're going to be. I, uh, it's not going to be overly electric for the sake of being electric. <laughs> it's not going to be fancy, I don't think. But it's going to be, I think, smart, I think would be the probably the best word I, I would put there. Sure. It's going to be smart and logical. It's going to make sense. I don't think they're going to be in situations where they're doing stuff where you're like, what the hell are they doing? <laughs> what That doesn't make any sense. You know, the old... Man ball or the we're going to force this down their throat kind of stuff. I I don't think you're going to see a lot of that, but I do think it'll be more logic based and more like we're going to take what's there. We're not going to try to do something that we're not capable of because we're going to try to prove it to ourselves or you know man up and flex our muscles. We're we're going to play smart logical football. I think that's Jay Johnson in a nutshell, and I think that's Mel Tucker too. He talks about that neutral thinking right all the time. Yep. I think Jay Johnson's probably similar in that in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, Another Michigan question here, sort of similar to one we got earlier on Michigan State. What's a good season look like for Harbaugh slash does this season even really matter? And then that was Ooh. from uh, that was from Space Ghost. And the second one was followed up. Somebody actually got in there and said, I second this and I'm very conflicted with what this means or with, with what this season means other than uh, if the Ohio State actually trucks us by 100 uh, – I can't read what he's saying there actually, but – for Harbaugh, for recruiting, for college football overall, I'm very curious about your assessment uh, of the press on Milton, the offensive line, and the defense, and what this season means. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the same question for everybody, right? Like, if we were going into, like, what would this season have meant if we're looking at it January, February? Because last year for Michigan, when the year ended, it was depressing for, for most people. I think they would agree with you on that, or agree with that. Um, it fell short of what they wanted. But it was also... I think I could argue for those same people. I thought for a lot of folks that would react to me, it was probably a depressing season, but it was also one that awoke them up to their reality. And the reality that had been happening for a couple years now, and that was one that they were they were a team that we just talked about. They were firmly entrenched below Ohio State. They're not on the same stratosphere. Uh, and they were in they were slipping to a point where when 16 ended, they were not as good as Ohio State, but they were close-ish, and they were better than Penn State, and they were better probably than Wisconsin, and they were the number two team in the Big Ten. There was Ohio State, and then everybody else, and Michigan was atop that list of everybody else. Now, as time has gone forward here, are they better than Penn State? I mean, 
you know, yeah. depends on the year, I guess. Are they better than Wisconsin? Probably not. And so what are we talking about here? Are you the second best or third best team in the league? Or are you, have you slipped to fourth or fifth? And Minnesota is creeping up now too. So mm-hmm. what's a good season? A good season to me is get yourself back to being, you know, the team that is... Top of the second tier. Yeah, top of the second tier. And, you know, no one's asking right now reasonably. I mean, they shouldn't be. It's not... I mean, you can blame whoever you want to blame for it. But, like, it's not fair to suggest that they should make up all this ground in one year and one pandemic season, you know, between themselves and Ohio State. But they do have to get themselves back to where they're better than Penn State and they're considered to be better than Wisconsin, better than Iowa, better than all these teams in the middle here, Minnesota... Um, that would be the goal. I mean, I would think between this year and next year, even too, is before you can run, you got to start walking again, and that means you got to get yourself back to the top part of no man's land, <laughs> to the to the ranked five through ten. Because yep. right now, you know, they're fifteen to twenty somewhere in there. If you're if we're thinking about it nationally across the board, and there is a lot of improvement they can make, should make, need to make. Uh, that doesn't involve going and beating Ohio State and winning the Big Ten. It's not they've gone that that goal. It's gone down. You know we've gone down the ladder a little bit here, and people want to if they you know you can lie to yourself all you want and say that that's not the case. And he, you know uh, Ross, they're asked about the press that I've heard from. You know we hear this every year. You know this guy's having a fantastic camp. The fourteen of these guys are having a fantastic camp. Blah mm-hmm. blah 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 blah. Okay. Well, you know, like all that's whatever, and some of that's just college football, and that's how college football works. But, you know, they were not a Big Ten championship contender last year. They were much better. I think they should have been better than they were. But when the, all, thing, all things were decided at the end, they weren't in that hunt. And so now your your goal should be is to get back in the hunt, is to get back in there to make it to where that last game means anything because last year what did it mean i mean it didn't you know right. it didn't mean anything no. and you know that's that's not what you want 17 it didn't mean anything 18 it meant something and you lost but that's what you want you want to be in 19, that position yeah yeah you want to be in that position yeah and 19 it didn't mean anything and you lost anyway so like you want to get yourself back to that spot and that's where the argument comes in on on the hardball thing is you know are you going to be able to turn this back you know he did such a great job when he got here of taking a situation that was headed south quickly stopping it in its tracks and then pushing it forward all within one year. And then they pushed it even further the next year and then they hit a wall again and it started to dip. 18 was a little bit of a bump back up, but 17 and 19 were drops. Mm -hmm. They were drop-offs. And now you've got to get yourself back to where you can bounce back into that spot before you can even attack the question of when are you going to beat Ohio State? For me, it's, well, okay, well, when are you going to get to a – are you going to get back to where we can reasonably expect – that you'll be there at the end of the year with you know a title on the line. If that's the case, then you're going in the right direction, and we can have conversations about the rest of it. But until that happens, you know your argument right now is you're either stalemated or going backward. Yep. And uh, you know they need to start going back in the right direction. I think that would be the uh, number one thing here. Yeah, I think when you uh, go ahead, I was gonna say I, you know, when you look at Michigan, you, I mean, you mentioned this earlier. Like the hope is that because Ohio State's not going anywhere, man. Like they're no 2021 class is already. They're, they're, it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> 2022, they're going to start on that. So, like, the talent will keep flowing in there. But I guess the hope is that one of these years you can kind of position yourself. Like, I look at the end of 2018, what were they, 10 and 1 going into that, that final game? Yeah. Like, that's where you want to be. Um, give yourself a chance. And maybe every few years, one of these years, you can kind of get yourself there and beat Ohio State and then get to a Big Ten championship and all that stuff. Then everything's on the table. But until then, like, anything else is just – 
status quo. Like you got to, you yeah. got to prove it at some point that you can get over the top and they haven't done that. So until then that should be the expectation. That should be the goal. Yeah. I mean, it's all relative of course, but like, it's the same thing that we just talked about at the very beginning with Michigan state's expectations. Like, yeah. right. Like we said, it's a different, it's a different chart, but the chart is, Hey, uh, if we're 10 and one and we go play Ohio state on the last day of the season and we lose 35, 30, and it was a hell of a football game, we can go on the recruiting trail and tell kids, hey, we're close. Like we were right there. Yeah. And if you're on our team and not on their team, we can get this done. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's but they can't even have that conversation right now. I don't I don't feel like because the bigger question would be, well, guys, you lost to Penn State and Wisconsin embarrassed you last year. So why are we even talking about, right. you know, what you can do against Ohio State? There are things on the list uh that are in front and this the same thing happened much more dramatically in the Brady Hope tenure where it started to slip and slide. And then suddenly it was like, why are you talking about what you can do against Ohio state? Michigan state's beating you. You're losing to, you know, all these other teams. There's other things on the list here that need to be addressed. And, and it's not as severe now as it was then, but it's a similar situation in that there's other things that you need to take care of here before we can even start to wonder about how you're going to be competitive with, with Ohio state, because, you know, they had momentum at the end of 16, and they lost a lot of seniors, and they haven't been able to capitalize on it. The 17 class did not... It was a very touted class when it signed. It was, I believe, the highest rated you know, class Michigan had had in years and years. It was, it was, they had a couple five stars and a lot of high four stars. Some of those guys panned out. Some of those guys did not. And here they are. And it's a different deal now. And they've got to find a way to... You know, change, and I think they have changed. I think that's one thing. You know, Harbaugh hiring Josh Gaddis was a huge deal. I know we're like a year and a half removed from that now, and people probably have forgotten, but like, Colton, you were around here. When when they hired a guy and said Jim Harbaugh is no longer going to be the guy calling plays, that was a massive deal, yeah. and that was a massive turning point and change in a guy that didn't change, you know, that has changed a lot, but that's something he never changed so they are changing. They're trying. I think that's the thing. You can't say that Michigan's not trying mm-hmm. to be different or trying to change things. They are doing that. But at the end of the day, you know, it's got to work on the field, and that's kind of the, the bridge they have to cross here. Right. So last one that we'll get into here before we roll out of here. Let me see if I can find one here. Last one, Michigan State from Derek. Uh, what pieces are the Michigan State coaches likely to build around uh, does Michigan State have a position group that will be a point of strength, or would you classify this as a full-on rebuilding year? So I think in that sense, like what he's asking, do we think that there's enough somewhere that they can sort of make the team revolve around X, Y, and Z, and that can be enough to make this a competitive season? Or is this looked at as, you know, maybe let's find whatever's positive, highlight that, and then just sort of take it day by day? I would say probably the latter, but your 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 thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at certain position groups, it's funny because I did a story like earlier this week, a couple stories actually, just kind of ranking the talent at each position that Michigan State has. And mm-hmm. the results might surprise you a little bit. Um, two of the positions that I would probably figure as one of the, two of the stronger ones, you know, running back and wide receiver, at least in terms of depth. Um, you know, they don't have the game-changing talent that, you know, Ohio State has or even yeah. maybe Penn State and Michigan. But I think they've been able to unearth some guys that were probably lightly recruited. You know, Jaden Reed getting him, there's a lot of hype around him, and people think he's going to be a really good player at Michigan State. Um, Jalen Naylor, if he can stay healthy, we'd like to see that, right? A guy that can yeah. has that sort of speed and, and game-breaking ability that, um, you know, wasn't really available to the offense last year. So 
you see that position, some running backs, you know, they got some different skill sets that they want to mix and match here. Um, towards the top of the group, though, offensive line came in at, I believe, number three. Uh, tight end was number two, just based off of mm. talent. You know, a couple four-star guys yeah. there. So I mean, that old line, Colton, could get there. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. It could. Chris Kapilovic, I mean, you, you've talked about this, but he yeah. everywhere he goes, he kind of makes an impact, especially in year mm-hmm. one. So this is, a, this is a, a position with some bodies. Some, you know, we like guys like Nick Samak and Jay Duplain kind of came on strong mm-hmm. last year's two freshmen. They might need a little bit more seasoning, but if you've got enough veterans where maybe in their fourth and fifth seasons that this is the year they can kind of put it together. Um, a lot of, you know, noticeable weight gains, I thought, was kind of helpful yeah. this offensive line. So I don't know. Um, I don't think there's a true position that's – you can look to and say, oh, that's going to be an absolute strength because I think there's so right. much un- unknown at this point. But um, I don't know. I, you look at the schedule. I think the schedule kind of sets up for them to win three, four games. You know, you, yeah, you can, you can beat Indiana. Like that's not that's not the guaranteed win it used to be. But I don't think Indiana really scares anyone at Michigan State right now. Um, seems like Rutgers and Maryland and Northwestern those are all winnable. And then the crossover, you know, if they're something, you know, something that would really help, I think. The whole thing here is if they can make uh, Collins into a like legit star. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like into a because I think he's capable. And if they can find a way, and obviously the offensive line is going to have to. And I, I like a lot of those young pieces. We've talked about that a ton. Mm-hmm. But if they can make, and even if it's like a bad season or whatever, if they can leave the season with Elijah Collins as like, well, he was like an All Big Ten running back, or he did this, or he did that. If they can make him into a stud and give themselves something. And I, because I think it's possible. I mean, he has the capability of doing that. If they can find a way to make him into like a bona fide star, that's something. Yeah. I mean, that helps. Yeah. That helps recruiting. That helps, you know, it helps you not only in recruiting at his position in the future, but it helps maybe in the immediate of like, hey, come on in here and play with him. He's got a couple more years left. Yeah. You know, like that's something I think that I, if it were me, I'm trying to build around whatever the most positive thing I could find. And to me, that is Collins. I mean, he's the closest thing I think they have right now. To a guy offensively, you know, maybe Naylor, but Collins, I, I mean, he was really good at times last year on a team that was disjointed. And I mean, yeah. I think if you can do that, then that could, that could help a lot. I mean, if you're talking about players to build around for the future, you know, some of their best players are going to be out of here pretty soon. Like Antoine Sims is yeah. a senior, Naquan Jones has been here. This is his fifth year. I know they have an extra year of eligibility if, if Tucker wants them back. But, um, you know, if you're talking about young players, Elijah Collins, you know, I think one, a couple of things he struggled with last year, he was great. You know, that was a true breakout year. Exactly what they needed gave them some yep. life, you know. I think he needs to work on pass catching. Um, if he has hopes of, you know, yes. playing in the NFL, he looked really stiff as a pass catcher, in my opinion. Mm. That's why I think they do have some guys that are better pass catching backs that might be able to help in that way if he doesn't improve there. It's kind of rough as a blocker. Um, I think once you had Connor Hayward and Ladarius Jefferson kind of leave, those two were like the really good pass protection yeah. backs. So – Collins kind of got exposed there at times. So if he can improve those things, they, he wants to be a complete back. You know, he's talking about yeah. getting faster so you can finish off some of those long runs and make them into touchdown runs. So yeah. if he can get there, you know, that's a guy you can say, look, this guy was the 600, 700 best player in his class. We came here. He's already, the, I believe, the leading returning rusher in the Big Ten. So if he can have another mm-hmm. strong season, get over 1,000 yards, I agree. That's something that can help you in recruiting. You can say, you know, we're, we helped him take another step with our new staff and we want you to yeah. play in this, this system as well. Um, you look at other positions, you know, Julian Barnett at cornerback. Um, yeah, that's good. That's one that has a lot of depth as well, but Julian Barnett, he was a top 60 player in his class. Um, 
back with Harlan Barnett, no relation, but uh, Harlan yeah. Barnett could be one of the best cornerback coaches in the country. Um, probably, you know, deserves to be a probably bigger role somewhere else. But I mean, yeah, you have him as a cornerback coach. That's phenomenal. Um, you feel really yeah. good about him developing, sure. developing those young guys. And, um, you know, Kalen Gervin was a four-star guy a couple years ago. Like he's coming along a little bit. Shakur Brown, like they've got some pieces that will still be around a little bit longer. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see which guys step up. You know, Antoine Simmons is, is going to be leaving soon, but Chase Klein is a young guy that's coming on. Um, maybe he can play that jack position if they go with the 3-4. So there's some pieces here you feel good about. You still got to add more talent, obviously. That's what they're trying to do. That's what they've been doing all offseason. But um, I think where they are right now, you just want to see that growth this year. Going to be an interesting year for the run games for both teams. I mean, if I'm Michigan State, I feel like I'm I'm going to try to load everything I can on Collins' shoulders and ride it until the brakes fall off. You know what I mean? Like, or whatever. I mean, like, that's part of it. For Michigan, you flip it around, and we just talked about that at the very beginning. I think Michigan's run game, too. I mean, it's a different – there are different levels of, you know, what you want out of it, obviously, because of the situations. But for Michigan's run game, it's the same thing. Like, you want Milton to be a dynamic piece in that run game. You want – you know, they've got – three and a half, I'll call it, running backs who are capable of doing something. You want to spread that evenly. You've got four-ish, you know, receivers who aren't stars, but they're all, you know, quick twitch guys who can do stuff. You want to be balanced. You want all that to happen, but it all has to be sort of in concert with your offensive line doing some of the things that we saw Michigan, you know, do last year. And we know now, I mean, Mike and Wayne use I think leading PFF rookies in run blocking and pass blocking in the NFL right now. <laughs> it's like, I mean, you know, we know he's in the NFL. Cesar Ruiz is in the NFL. Bredesen's in the NFL. Runyon got drafted. All those guys are gone. But at the same time, we've talked about this a ton, that Ed Warner's been able to build, you know, reasonable depth to where this might not be as big a fall off as it could have been in years past. And if that can happen for Michigan, then your run game really helps the quarterback settle in, helps him get, you know, his feet under him, helps him feel more confident and comfortable. And, you know, suddenly he starts making plays. And for Michigan State, it's the same thing. It's it's just a different level. But if you can get something established, and that's why, you know, I would argue again, get Collins and Williams out there together and let them mess around with people and, yeah. you know, do something that gets an advantage. If you can get whoever your quarterback is a little comfortable, you know, then it helps so much more. All of a sudden he's less pressure to make a mistake. Maybe he's a little more willing to take a chance on something and you never, you know, you surprise yourself. So offensive line play is going to be the whole thing in this time crunch. Um, and again, I think Colton, we've talked about this before. And I know Austin, and I have the teams with the best coaching staffs are going to be the ones who are the best football teams this year. That's it. Yeah. We see all the time. We see coaches get by on smoke and mirrors and bullshit and talk and everything else about how great of a sales staff that they have. We are going to find out who can coach football and who can't when this whole thing is over because they've had no time to prepare. They've had nothing in terms of fall camp or anything else. Uh, Everybody's in the same boat. Obviously, some teams have more talent than other teams, but relative to expectation, we're going to see who can coach and who can't. I think that's going to be exciting to watch. If the gap is even somewhat close between two teams, like you mentioned, like the coaching staff is going to push them over the top. So I agree 100%. We're going to find out. We're going to find out. It should be fun one way or the other. Uh, we're going to be here for it all. Again, like I said, stay tuned to to this feed, to the beat feed. Obviously, you guys are subscribed. Tell your friends everything else. If you're RPM subscribers, uh, stay tuned to that one as well because that's going to turn into the Big Ten Football Show, which will actually have all kinds of stuff uh, from all of our writers across the board here at The Athletic. 
Uh, Scott Docterman, who's awesome in Iowa. Audrey Snyder, Penn State. Bill Landis is great. Who am I missing? Who else is going to be involved, Colton? I know. I, are we overstepping our bounds here and saying all this stuff? Like, no, I don't I think care. we're good. Who else is, you and Austin. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Temple yeah. at Wisconsin. Jesse Ar- Temple Ari Washman's still going to host today. Yeah. Oh, is Ari going to still be in there pissing everybody yeah, off? Yeah, he will. Stuff we're talking about good. talent and, and <laughs> rankings and stars. <laughs> so we'll have all that stuff. So stay tuned to the RPM feed, too. Uh, you'll get all that and all of this as well. Brendan will be back, I think, next week. Uh, right, we'll have something either way, one way or the other. Colton will be back with us at some point soon as well. So, uh, Colton, you got anything else today? Uh, no, I'm good. Just looking forward to the season getting going. Let's get started. Let's go. Season's almost here. Uh, make sure to support all of your local restaurants, or Brandon's going to yell at me for that one. Be sure to tip those bartenders, servers, carry out people, your door dashers, everything else. Uh, in any event, for Colton, I'm Nick. Take care of each other. We'll talk to you soon. I've seen hard times on my